Welcome to Jonathan on Money, the personal finance podcast that brings you the latest insights and strategies to help you achieve your financial goals. I'm your host, Jonathan I. Shankman. On this podcast, we'll cover everything from investing, financial planning, retirement, and behavioral finance. I'll share advice and practical tips to help you make the most of your money. So whether you're just starting out or looking to take your finances to the next level, Jonathan on Money is here to help. Let's dive into this week's show. Welcome to this week's episode of Shankman on Money. This is episode number 17. This week, we have another exciting episode. Before we jump into this week's show, I want to mention that we're at the point of the summer where back-to-school ads are in full swing. Even though I'm done with my academic career, I still feel sad that the summer is winding down. There's still a few more weeks of swimming, beaches, barbecue, and having fun before the more intense fall season is upon us. Hopefully, some listeners will be, will be able to take some time off before Labor Day. Whatever your plans are, I hope you enjoy it. Remember, money is meant to be spent on experiences, not just on accumulating things and paying bills. So keep that in mind over the remaining days of summer. My talking points today will focus on supporting Colo kids and retirement, which is a difficult balance that many from families are faced with. It's not uncommon for couples in their six, late 60s or 70s to come to me in this predicament. How do they support their kids who are learning Torah full-time with the couple's desire to eventually retire? I'll give my thoughts on the subject, practical strategies to consider. As always, my opinions may not be popular, but that won't stop me from sharing them. As always, I'll spend the last half of the episode answering listener questions. I'll also share a very thought-provoking quote about investing and history in general. With that, let's jump in to this week's talking points. So I received the following question. I have three kids who are in Chinuch and Kolel. I could not be prouder of their accomplishments. I've been helping them with monthly bills, general expenses, and their home purchases. To finance it all, I've maxed out my credit cards and I've taken out the equity in my home. I'm now 70 years old and still working and have no meaningful retirement accounts. I want to ultimately retire comfortably and also want them to continue pursuing their dreams. What do you recommend? Well, let's start by recognizing the importance of your kid's chosen career path. Education, particularly Torah education, is foundational to every Jewish boy or girl's life. It is an admirable vocation and essential to the viability of the Jewish community at large. The problem here is that your ongoing financial support has allowed your kids to live a life that they cannot afford, and has positioned you to be destitute or financially dependent on others when you retire. This reality did not happen overnight. It is the accumulation of years of irresponsible financial decisions. May not, you may be able to get out of this mess with perseverance, commitment, and more than a little bit of luck. Let me share some recommendations for you to consider. First, cut your children off financially. I know that sounds harsh. However, refraining from financially supporting your kids' lifestyle is an important first step. Your children decided to pursue a career in Chinuch and learning in Kolel, which are not high-income professions. There's nothing wrong with that decision as long as your kids can live within their means. Since you have been supporting them, they never had to do that. They need to start living with the consequences of their decision or pivot to a higher earning career since you simply can't afford to keep them afloat any longer. Second, continue working. This may seem obvious, but your ability 
to continue working is key to addressing your situation. The longer you work, the easier it will be to pay down your debt, build a nest egg, and ultimately retire at some point in the future. Third, pay off your debt. High interest debt is cancer to personal finance. It can quickly grow out of control and become insurmountable. To dig yourself out of your financial hole and begin building wealth, you need to get rid of your loans. Start with the highest interest rate loans first, like credit card debt, and work your way down. Some lenders may be willing to negotiate a settlement if you can't make the full payment. It's worth calling to determine if that's an option. As a last resort, if your debt burden is too large, consider filing for bankruptcy. While bankruptcy has become stigmatized in our society, it is actually a sensible financial strategy that may be appropriate in certain situations. Fourth, save most of your earnings. You'll need to tighten your belt and only spend what is necessary. All other cash flow should be saved. The average lifespan in the U.S. is nearly 80. If you are in decent health at 70, it is not far-fetched to assume that you will live to your 90s or later. You need to plan accordingly. This means building an emergency fund for unplanned expenses. Someone who is gainfully employed in the middle of their career typically should aim for about six months worth of expense money. In addition, you'll need to figure out how much you spend on an annual basis. Multiply that amount by your estimate, estimate based on family history of how many years you may live after you retire. That total is roughly how much you will need in savings to comfortably live out the rest of your life. This is a crude calculation, but without more detailed information about your finances, lifestyle, and other retirement income sources, I can't get more specific. After decades in the workforce, you should theoretically have been at a point in your life where you could spend more freely. However, you don't have the luxury to do that now since you made the decision to spend excessively on your children up until this point. If you manage to accumulate a sufficient nest egg over the next few years, hopefully you will have more flex financial flexibility in the future. And there's fifth, purchase appropriate insurance. Given your age, there's the likelihood that you pass away or that health conditions may prevent you from continuing to work. That may leave a spouse who's financially dependent on you and unable to support themselves. Having life and disability insurance policies can be helpful. Consider any group plans available to you through your employer to minimize your costs and potentially avoid a more rigorous underwriting process. Alternatively, you can purchase a standalone policy, though it will likely be far more expensive. Six suggestions to reevaluate your housing costs. For most families, housing costs are typically their biggest expense. Downsizing and moving to a lower cost of living location may help you save more money. Will also help you more easily make ends meet when you're when you ultimately stop working. It's wonderful when a parent can financially assist their children at the start of their career. However, eventually every parent should cut the lifeline to allow their kids to become financially independent. Failure to do so may, may leave both the child and parent in a precarious situation. The silver lining for your family is that you are still working and your kids are young enough to make proper adjustments. In other words, there is still hope that in time, your family can dig themselves out of this financial quagmire. And I wish you much Hatzlacha with that. Okay, those are my talking points this week. As a reminder, you can be notified of all my recent articles, webinars, and all the other work I put out by subscribing to my free monthly newsletter at shankmanwealth.com forward slash newsletter. Now for this week's quote, which is from Sir John Templeton, who said, the four most dangerous words in investing are, this time it's different. First, by way of background, since not everyone may be familiar with Sir John, 
He was an investment banker, fund manager, and philanthropist. He was really a pioneer in the mutual fund space when he entered it in 1954 and created the Templeton Growth Fund, which I'm sure many listeners are actually familiar with. Its average growth of more than 15% per year for 38 years, which is unbelievable return that 99% of the population will never be able to achieve. He was also a pioneer of emerging market investing in the 1960s, well before it was in vogue. And he was known by Money Magazine in 1999 as arguably the greatest global stock picker of the century. He died in 2008 at age 95, so he witnessed many market cycles. Which brings me to his quote, which can apply to politics, life, and especially investing. Times are never actually different. It's the same story with a new set of characters. This is most obvious in politics. Politicians are always bickering, the issues they are bickering about, and the people involved may change or evolve. But the constant of bickering, new elections, and coming to some conclusion has always been constant. With investing, there, there are timeless principles that are always true, namely stay diversified, stocks are volatile and unpredictable in the short run, but tend to outpace inflation over the long run. There will be recessions, people will speculate, what's hot will go out of favor, and slow and steady wins the race. When constructing your portfolio, just remember that these truths always exist and always will. This time is never materially different than from the past. Now let's jump into this week's financial questions. If you do have a question, feel free to submit it to me at jonathan at jankmanwealth.com, and it may be answered in a future episode. Okay, first question. I have a portfolio of around a million dollars, and I'm approaching retirement. My thinking is to stay invested in T-bills since I can't afford to lose money. Is this a sound approach? You are guaranteed to be losing money with this approach. I, I hope I was clear with that statement. You are guaranteed to be losing money with that approach. So no, it's not sound. Inflation will eat away at your buying power and you will increase the likelihood of outliving your funds. You need to think in terms of time horizon. If you are relatively young in your 60s, you may have a 30 to 40 year time horizon that these funds need to last for. Unless you die well before your life expectancy, you will almost certainly outlive your funds. The only way to hedge against inflation and increase your probability of now outliving your, your money is to invest in stocks. This doesn't mean you should have 100% of your money in stocks. That would be imprudent. But a meaningful percentage is necessary. You can work with your advisor to determine what percentage in stocks makes sense for you. The illusion of safety by hiding in cash or treasuries is something that many investors are confused by. Don't let this false sense of security derail your ability to retire. When is it appropriate to add private real estate investment to one's portfolio for diversification purposes? For most people, the answer is never. It's unnecessary to your life, can be cumbersome to deal with, and you can accomplish whatever you need to do in the public markets. That being said, most of these funds require you to be an accredited investor, which is an individual that is classified by the SEC as someone who is qualified to invest in complex or sophisticated types of securities. To become accredited, certain criteria must be met such as having an average yearly income of $200,000 or $300,000 with a spouse or domestic partner, or a $1 million net worth excluding the value of your primary residence. In other words, when you're in a financial situation when putting the high minimum required to invest, which may be around $100,000 to $250,000 into these funds, and then losing it won't impact your financial life, that is one criteria. 
You also need to be sophisticated enough to evaluate the merits of the actual investment itself or pay an independent third party to evaluate them for you. This doesn't mean that some slick macher says that you will achieve 15% annualized returns with no risk, and that seems attractive to you. It means you literally need to understand the mechanics of the deal, the market, and the risks involved. You should also have enough money where the private real estate deals won't account for more than 10% of your investment assets. You always got to stay adequately diversified. I have a great real estate opportunity likely with a likely IRR of 16% for five years. I'm thinking of borrowing money to meet this investment minimum, which is 250000 The best rate to borrow money is just north of 6% for me. The math seems to make sense to me. Am I missing anything? You seem to be missing a whole lot, like the deal not achieving that level of return, like the deal blowing up completely, like not having the ongoing cash flow to support that debt service. Remember, you're not a fancy hedge fund gambling with other people's money. It's your money. My advice to you is to try to act more conservatively with your own capital so you aren't living on the streets. Next question, which seems a little bit like a short rant which we love here, since President Trump is likely to be president in 2024, but has been indicted in another federal criminal case, does this lower your expected market return assumption? No, despite what various media outlets would like you to think, this is not the first time in history that politicians are attacking one another. We've been here before. Sure, the cast of characters is different. I feel like I'm uh, echoing what Sir John Templeton was, uh, was getting at with his quote. Um, but the cast of, ca of characters is different than in the past, and the specifics of the situation differ, but it's always the same story in Washington, bickering, fighting, personal and political attacks on opponents, and losing focus of the actual job, which is to serve their constituents. Politics should never, ever, ever influence the design of your portfolio or long-term market assumptions. Instead of focusing on market assumptions, which is anyone's guess, you should lobby your congressman for term limits and a maximum age you can run for office. I imagine this will help motivate politicians to focus on their job and less nonsense. It will also help protect Americans from old and senile politicians with too much power. And there are plenty of those in our current political system today. Sadly, this will never happen since power is an addictive drug. And if you are in power, you don't want to lose it. Therefore, no politicians will vote for these limitations. At the end of the day, the markets will do its thing irrespective of what is happening in Washington. I got offered the opportunity to participate in the syndication of ATM machines. It seems like a cash cow. Is there anything wrong with participating in this deal? Am I missing anything? I'm not familiar with the syndication of ATM machines. However, it's a business like anything else, and you need to make sure you understand how it's run if it's being run properly, and that there is no hanky-panky going on. Once you understand what is going on, there is no fraud, and there's no fraud, then you need to determine if you will actually be able to make money over the life of the investment. Perhaps analyze the market for this business, the competitive moat, and their competition. Remember, nothing in this life is a sure thing. Going into any investment with that understanding is imperative. What is the central bank trying to do with crypto? They're trying to regulate it. Eventually, they will succeed. Not much more I can add to that since it's not something I follow or care a great deal about. Next question. My son made a, a lot of money at an internship this summer. What should he do with the funds? First thing he needs to do is decide when he needs these funds. 
You can't do anything with your money until you have a good sense of your time horizon. If your son plans to spend these funds in the short term on hanging out with friends and other expenses, then keep the money in a checking account and move on with life. Sure, he can use a high-yielding money market fund, but if money is for expenses within a year, then the options aren't overly exciting. However, if these funds are for the longer term, and he doesn't plan to use it for 10 plus years down the road, then he can invest in a diversified portfolio of mutual funds with a heavier weighting in equities given his long time horizon and need to outpace inflation. If implementing a strategy like this is too involved for him or you, if you're helping him, then you can hire someone to help you or utilize target date funds so he doesn't blow himself up. While the target date funds are cookie cutter solutions for the masses, they are better than not investing at all or in silly things. Finally, if this is really long-term money, then he may want to consider a Roth IRA account. Pay taxes now, and I assume he's in a low tax bracket, and let the money grow for the next five decades and never have to pay tax again. That's a pretty good deal. Next question, should I hold cash instead of bonds in my portfolio? It really depends on your situation. If you're close to retirement or needing to spend down your portfolio, then having ample cash cushion is important. It probably doesn't make sense to have all your bond money in cash. You will likely want to get a better yield on that money. Therefore, individual bonds for a portion of these funds likely make sense. Generally, the way to use individual bonds in your portfolio is when you can match the exact maturity to, to when you're going to need the money. You can also use funds whose duration aligns with your time horizon. Alternatively, and this is also prudent, you can keep the duration of your bonds, whether individual bonds or funds, relatively short to serve as a ballast to the more volatile equity positions in your portfolio while still achieving a higher return than cash. Next question, a friend told me to do a cash out refinance at a, seven, at a rate of about 7%. He told me to do it in order to invest in a real estate deal that never materialized. What should I do with this money that I now have available? Uh, you should pay it back. Uh, debt is bad, and that rate is also bad. One investment can consistently achieve better than 7% annualized return. The answer is not many. Just be sure, just be done with the loan and find other more sensible things to invest in that doesn't require borrowing money. Making small investments into stock market every month by using your company's 401k plan is far more sensible. Investing a small amount regularly over a multi-decade time horizon will lead to accumulating a sizable nest egg. There's never any need to do anything extreme, which is what your friend was suggesting. This looks like it's more business development related, but that's also money related. So let's jump into it. You do a lot of marketing, writing webinars, podcasts, and other stuff. Where does your business come from? Do you have a breakdown? So this is a great question. I really don't know how it breaks down. It's impossible to track accurately. My guess is that before anyone reaches out to me, they've consumed a variety of my content, including my articles, listened to a webinar and a podcast, and read my social media posts. The key for me is doing a bunch of stuff since you never know what will trigger someone to actually contact you. I also find the process of producing content whether written, audio, or video, to be very beneficial activity for a variety of reasons, which we could get into at another point. I also have quite a few people come through referrals from existing clients, which they, means they probably consume very little of my content and just skip this whole process and all the work I put out. I do stop doing things that I feel are not very effective. This has included running networking events or attending other networking events, 
It may work for some people, but I felt you needed to meet a lot of people before you meet someone who's actually willing and able to refer you business. I also don't sponsor events. I did that once like 12 years ago for a crowd of 200 people. One guy gave me his business card, and after I reached out to him, he told me never to contact him again. This was a super productive experience. Some of the best marketing for me has been a time commitment and not a money commitment. I've actually found that probably my best marketing has been the fact that I've grown up in an Orthodox community, went to shul regularly, and attended yeshiva throughout my life. That network of friends and acquaintances serves as the foundation of my new clients and referrals to this day. For me, this network is far better than going to any Ivy League business school or being part of an exclusive golf club. The key to business development is you really just need to find what works best for you and your business and that suits your personality. That's really the, the key of this whole thing. And I wish you much Hatzlacha with that. Okay, that's it for financial questions this week. Feel free to email me with any questions you have, and I might answer them in a future episode. And with that, it's a wrap for this week's show. Any comments or questions, feel free to reach out directly to me via email. I love hearing from my listeners. And finally, the secret to financial success is no secret at all. It's to spend less than you make, invest the difference prudently, and ignore all the noise. See you next time on Shankman on Money. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. I hope you were able to take away a nugget or two to apply to your own life. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can be alerted whenever new episodes drop. If you'd like to submit a question that may be answered in a future show, please email me at jonathan at parkbridgewealth.com. Be sure to check out all Jonathan on Money content, including all my articles, webinars, and videos by following me at Jonathan on Money on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Finally, If you like what you heard today, please rate the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps ensure that other personal finance enthusiasts can find the show as well. Thank you and catch you on the next episode of Jonathan on Money.